Amen. Thank you so much. Praise team for helping us to worship and glorify our Lord this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Paul's letter uh, to the church in Colossia, Colossians chapter 1. This is where we'll begin today uh, in our study of God's Word. Last Sunday, I shared with you that one of the signs of the times, one of, not all, but one of the major signs of the times is this universal moral unraveling of our culture. Now, we've all had had, all through the history of man, there's been this issue, of course, of uh, immorality, sin, transgressions, iniquity, all of those things. But it just seems that we are now moving, as Jesus told us, into a time where there is a universal moral unraveling of culture. Jesus said that it would be like in the days of Noah. It would be like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, when the Son of Man would return. Of course, he was talking about himself. And in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul describes how this unraveling begins to take place. He says it begins with denying God in our hearts. And as you read through chapter 1 there, he goes from a denying God in our hearts will bring about a darkness in our heart. And if that darkness is not checked, particularly by the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then that darkened heart will become a depraved heart. And that's what we see today, kind of in our face. Used to be kind of behind the scenes, but now... In reality, it's just in our face. And we see it not just in the United States of America, of course, but we see it around the world. There is simply what I'm calling almost a spiritual pandemic of people who are denying God in their lives and in their heart. They're having darkened heart, and now we're beginning to see that depravity coming out just about if you're watching television, if you're listening to the news, if you are not living with your head stuck in the sand, then you know what is actually taking place all around us. Well, in looking at that last week, I asked this question. With that being a reality, along with many other signs as well, how then shall we live? Well, this morning I have a second question. In reality of what we're still talking about here, this moral unraveling uh, of our culture. Uh, how, here's the second question. What does it, re- or does it really matter to us? Let me make that personal. Does it really matter to you in your life that all around there are friends in your life? There are family members in your life. There are fellow acquaintances in your life who are on that same path. They may be right now just denying God in their life and in their heart. Maybe you're already beginning to see signs of darkness in their heart. And maybe you even see the reality of depravity beginning to come out in their life. The question is, does it really matter to you? Now, here's the importance of that question or the essence of that question because there's only one answer. And we know that one answer is one person, 
And that one person, of course, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul words this in Colossians, in his letter to the church in Colossians. He's about to explain to them who Christ is, his awesomeness, his majesty, and why he should be preeminent in our life. And right before that, he says this in verses 13 and 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, for he, he's talking about Christ here, rescued us. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, which of course is the kingdom of light, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now you may sit there and think, well, what does he mean by the domain or some translations may use the word kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Where did that come from? Well, in essence, it came from the beginning when Satan rebelled against God in heaven and he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels who were part of that same rebellion and when he was thrown to the earth, then he picked a fight with God for the allegiance, listen to me carefully, the allegiance of Adam and Eve, the man and the woman God had created. And when Adam and Eve fell to his lies and his deceptions, from that point to this right now, our world ultimately is under the domain of darkness, that is the kingdom of darkness. We are oppressed by the kingdom of darkness. And so as we come into this world, we need to be rescued. We were just singing that song, Jesus Messiah, the rescuer of sinners. And what Paul is talking about here, he says, look, we have been rescued. Now this word rescued uh, is a term that, uh, kind of like a military term, uh, you probably have heard this, no man left behind. Well, the basis of that is that if there is an injured soldier out there on the battlefield, we're not going to leave him there. We're going to go put our lives at risk to rescue that one who is injured because in their position, they're helpless. They can't do anything. They're wounded, they're hopeless, and if someone doesn't rescue them, the enemy is going to bring their ultimate end. When Jesus came, born into the very world he created, lived a perfectly sinless life, and then paid in full for the sins of the world, becoming sin for us, to rise again the third day and now ascend to the right hand of the Father. It was all about him rescuing the souls of mankind. But then he ascended to the right hand of the Father and right before that ascension, he gave us a charge. He gave us a mission as followers of Christ that in his name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that in the, his name we were now to be his tools to rescue as many people as possible out of that kingdom of darkness. 
Now, you need to understand how important this is. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians just for a moment? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so you'll understand when you think about those friends and maybe say, well, I don't know if they've been rescued or not. I don't know if they're still part under the oppression of the kingdom of darkness or whether they've been rescued into the kingdom of light, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if they accepted Christ or not, or maybe you know. When you think about those friends, and you think about family members, and you think about fellow acquaintances, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe you play sports with them and their families. Think about this reality about their life. If they're still out on the battlefield of life, they're helpless and they're hopeless, and here's why. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses three and four. Even if our gospel is veiled, listen carefully to this. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Those who, in whose case the God, little g, God of this world, referring of course to Satan, has blinded, listen, blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So those friends, those family members, those fellow acquaintances are absolutely spiritually blind. I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you're either in a room or in a location where there was absolutely no light. I mean, no light at all. And you can literally feel the darkness. And you have absolutely no clue where to go. How to move. Which direction to go. Why? Because you can't see one thing. You can't even see your, your finger right there at the front of your eye. Because there's absolutely no light. Well, that's where they are spiritually. They can't find their way out. They will have no idea what direction to go to even find God if they begin thinking of God and their life and their eternal destiny. And so that's why Paul in Romans, just to you left there, from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 said, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Now, I want you to underline that word preacher. Highlight it. That's not me. Unfortunately, through the years, that's the way it has been interpreted because of the way we organize our churches and I'm the pastor, I'm the preacher. And so, preacher, that is your responsibility. It is my responsibility as a follower of Christ. But it's your responsibility as a follower of Christ as much as it is my responsibility. Someone needs to take the divine flashlight of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his love and shine the path for them so they'll have the opportunity at least to be rescued. And so we get back to our question. How important is that to you? Does it really matter to us personally? 
does it really matter to you about that friend, about that family member, or those fellow acquaintances? I can tell you from personal experience the the most difficult thing I have ever done in my life is to look down into the casket of a friend that I know had never been rescued. And I was doing his funeral. The burden on my heart weighed so heavily because I felt like I failed him. So the question is vital for us today, is it not? It's the only answer for mankind. It's not going to be any government, not going to be any treaty. It's not going to be any world philosophy or approach. Listen, there's only one answer. It's a person. It is the rescuer of mankind. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we and we alone have the light to be able to shine. So with that being said, the rest of this message is for those who will say, it really matters to me. It really matters to me. And if that's true, then I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. I want to use this man, Nehemiah, whose heart was really burdened for his people. And I want to use the three characteristics. They're simple. They're so simple. If you take notes, write it down. You won't even have to take notes. You'll remember these three things that you'll find in anyone that it really matters to the point where God can and God will use them or God will use you. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. He was part of the Babylonian captivity. And being part of the being the cupbearer of the king was that, you know, he was, he was the overseer to a great degree of, of every meal that he had and what we might call today every snack he might have. Anything that came to him to drink or to, to, to eat, Nehemiah had to okay it. And part of okaying that was that he would have to take a sip of the drink that was being offered to the king to make sure that it wasn't poison because if it was poison, it was Nehemiah who was supposed to die, not the king. So you kind of get an understanding where he is in life. And notice as we look at this, there were three characteristics. He had a great concern for his people, the welfare of his people. And so the first thing I want you to write down is simply the word passion. Passion. This is not something we can give lip service to. This comes from a heart of passion. It really does matter to you. Here's what it says, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Scripture says that it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king, 
Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Now, why, why is that statement so important? Well, simply this, you never wanted to take the smile off of the king's face. You never wanted to displease him in any way. You can lose your life. Just one statement and you're gone. Just one nod of his head and you could be executed. So that, Nehemiah knew the situation it was in. But notice what happened. Verse 2, so the king said to me, why is your face sad? Though you're not sick, this is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid, Nehemiah said. In other words, he, he knew he could be in deep trouble for his life. But then notice it says in verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city of the place of my father's tomb lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Now, here's what you need to understand about that statement. It's not that Nehemiah was just concerned that Jerusalem was desolate. It had been destroyed. But see, he knew that that was a picture, a spiritual picture of what was happening to the people of Israel. Their faith had been destroyed. Their, their faith had become desolate. And so he was not just concerned about the physical aspect of Jerusalem. His greatest burden was the people of Israel, his people. And the fact that their faith had become desolate. Look with me in chapter 1. If you want to get a picture of his passion, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Scripture says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews, that meant his people, who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the providence who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. In other words, from a faith perspective, they were desolate. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You can't read those words and not see and understand the burden on his heart, the passion. If I were to ask that question to Nehemiah, does it really matter? It's like, it is breaking my heart to know where they are spiritually. The question for us is, our passion, not lip service, but life action for that friend or friends, family members, fellow acquaintances at work and in our neighborhood. And you know, are you afraid it may be true that if their life came to an end today, they would have never 
been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. To be eternally separated from the kingdom of light. So the first word is passion. But look at the second one with me. The second one, again, what you would expect, prayer. You'll always find prayer in those who have passion and can answer the question, yes, it really matters to me. Listen to how this unfolded. This is kind of fascinating. So the king said to me, this is verse 4. The king said to me, Why, what would you request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> and that's one of those silent, in your heart, desperate prayers like that. <laughs> in other words, he didn't say, he didn't say to the king, he said, king, look, give me, a, give me a little bit here. I'm going to go to my prayer room. I know I moved out of the light, but don't worry about it. I'm going to go to my prayer room, and I'm going to pray about this, and I'm going to come back with my request. Uh-uh. This was right there, right then, right in his heart. He cried out to God. But here's what you need to understand. You remember that I read in chapter 1, he talked about this happened in the month of Chislev, but in chapter 2, we're in the month of Nisan. That's four months. For the last four months, think about this. Nehemiah has been praying and fasting. Praying and fasting. Praying and fasting for his people. And so even though that was a one moment, few second, quick prayer to the throne of God, it was backed up by four months of private, personal, earnest prayer to the Father. Now, you may look at me and say, well, Pastor, I don't even know what to pray. How do I pray? I'm going to give you a little two this morning. Take your Bible, turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Some of you know this one obviously by heart. Uh, in our big room, in, in the cabin above the fireplace, we have this, this passage right there. We read it every morning. You can look at it and read it every morning. And it's just where Jesus simply said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now let's just take those three things and let's apply it. Let's apply it to what we're talking about here. How to pray so that because it really matters to you. I mean, this really matters. That friend, that family member, that fellow, their soul really matters to you. So how can you pray? Just simply this. First of all, ask. Ask for what? Wisdom, discernment, guidance. As you seek to reach out to this individual or these individuals. Just God said, if you want wisdom, ask for it. And I'll lavish it upon you. Wisdom and discernment. And know how, what's going on in their life. Guidance. How to, how to proceed toward being used of the Lord to bring this new life to them. So that they have the opportunity at least to be rescued. Secondly, seek. Seek what? Seek opportunities to love on them. Build trust with them. And that's particularly true with not just 
family and friends, but fellow acquaintances. Most of us, we only have three or four friends in our lives, true friends. Mostly what we're talking about here is family and fellow acquaintances. But can I remind you of a statement? You've heard me say this. You've read it many other places, I'm sure, but it's, it's so apropos for right now. They don't care what you know until they know you care. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. So ask for wisdom and discernment and, and for guidance. Ask for opportunities to love them in Christ and to build trust with them and then, and then knock. Look for those open doors. The door open up for you to invite them. Either, listen to me, either to Christ or to church. A lot of times in conversations, they'll open up the door for you. They'll ask the right questions. And you're able to say what Christ means to you, what Christ has done in your life, and how he has rescued you. And then you can either share how they can be rescued and it's according to what, how the conversation's unfolding and the Holy Spirit is using you, but you can at least invite them to church. And guess what? One of the most fruitful days, one of the most important days to be able to invite a friend or a family member or a fellow acquaintance to church is coming up in about three weeks. It's called Easter Sunday. So you got three weeks. Starting today, you got three weeks. Does it really matter to you? If it does, you got three weeks to ask, to seek, and knock. To ask, to seek, and knock. In fact, that is written in the present tense, which means he who keeps asking and keeps seeking and keeps knocking. This coming Easter, we're going to have two services. We'll have one at 9 o'clock. There'll be no Sunday school. We'll have one at 9 o'clock, so we can do an extended service there. We generally just do a 50-minute service uh, on a regular Sunday. We want to have a little bit more time to be able to do that and then still have time to make a transition down here and have our 11 o'clock Easter down here with our praise team and and all this involved with that. So you, you've got, and let, can I tell you what I told them in the early service? I said, if you've got a friend or a family member or a fellow acquaintance that you're going to be asking, seeking, and knocking, and it happens to be someone you think would better feel more comfortable in the worship that we uh, share together here in this service, would you please bring them here? But guess what? Same's true of us, right? If you're reaching out to someone that you think their heart will connect more with a more traditional kind of worship, get up earlier and bring them to the nine o'clock service. Would you do that? Why? It's their soul that's important. That's the important thing. 
So with that being said, not only the word passion, not only the word prayer, but the third and final thing here is the word personal surrender. Personal surrender. Notice what it says as we get into uh, verse 5 and following. But first of all, verse 5, the scripture says, I said to the king, listen to this very carefully, if it please the king and if your servant has found favor before you, send me. Underline that. Send me. He didn't say, King, would you give me time to put together a team that I can send to Jerusalem? Because my people really need it. They need the Lord. King, will you take up an offering? so we can maybe send someone to Jerusalem because my people need the Lord. Nothing wrong with these offerings. When it really matters, it's send me. Are you listening? Say amen. Send me. There was another man of God, Isaiah, responded the same way. You remember this, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, and God was saying in, in that passage, he was saying, uh, who, will, who will go for us? Who can we send? Who will we go for us? And Isaiah responded, here am I, send me, send me. When it really matters, it's in me. You say, well, a lot, of, a lot of fear in that for me. Well, listen to this. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. Just read it. Now, what I want you to pick up when I read it, that because he was willing to go, he, he took with him three things. The king's power, the king's provision, and the king's protection. Now that was a earthly king. We have an eternal king. <laughs> king of kings. And if it really matters and you're willing through passion, because the passion in your heart, and you're praying, asking, seeking, and knocking, and you say, Lord God, send me that personal surrender, he'll send you with his power, his provision and his protection. Verse 7 and following. And I said to the king, if it please the king for letters to be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. That's the king's power. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me, the king's provision. And then verse 9 and verse 10. 
Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now, the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, <laughs> king's protection. And he needed it. Why? Verse 10. When Samlet the Hornonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, this is the enemies of Israel, it was very displeasing to them. It will be very displeasing to Satan who oversees this domain of darkness, this kingdom of darkness. He's not going to like it. Do not fear. But this is what it says. For displeasing to them that someone, that could be you, could be me, had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Passion, prayer, personal surrender. That is what comes with the answer. Yes, it really matters to me. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes in the spirit of prayer? I think it's important because of the heartbeat of this word for us today that we open up this altar for you. As the Holy Spirit reminds you of friends that either you know, there's no question, or you do have a question, which means they may really need the Lord. And the Holy Spirit reminds you of family and fellow acquaintances, those you work with, those you live by, those you do sports with. that it really means something to you for them to be rescued. And you can start today. If it matters, you can start today, right now. I'm opening up this whole altar for you. For you to come.